0: As we jump into this, I'm going to show you a photo. And this is genuinely one of the scariest photographs I have ever seen. I say that with no hint of irony or humor. This is a terrifying photo. Here it is. It's a photo from the 1920s, probably in the Portland area of America, in a gathering of a church of the Ku Klux Klan. It shocks us. How could this be? How could such evil be associated with the people of light? It is a shocking photo, isn't it? But it reminds us of something so important in our list of practices about living life well. Something that we can be so familiar with that we forget quite how important it really is. How important it is that we get a handle on what the Bible actually says. And so the practice that we're exploring at the moment is studying the Bible. In our world of information and technology, where we're bombarded with communication 24-7, where the first thing many of us look at in the morning is our phones and the news, and the last thing at night is the same, How do we make sure as disciples of Jesus that we're being discipled by Jesus, not by our culture? And that terrible photo reminds us what is at stake in making sure that we are influenced by the life-changing, history-making, culture-defying message of biblical Christianity. And so the practice of studying the Bible is so important. And now as we get into this, I want us to get a handle on something. Because I would imagine in the room right now, the moment we use the word study, this sort of comes to mind. (laughs) Help! No! Whether our experience of school was good or not, most of us don't want to go back there. Or even if your experience of school was good and you're quite happy or you're at school now or college or university or whatever, the word study can have implications of dull, boring, dust. It's hardly, yes, we've been praising Jesus together, study. Well, fortunately, we have an example for us this morning in the pages that we have just read of why this is so important and how it is actually far from being dry or dull. Listen again to those words I just read. The Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Why? For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. There's a contrast between some people in Thessalonians, in Thessalonica, sorry, who when Paul and Silas and Timothy went there, kicked off, they didn't want anything to do with them, they caused a riot, stirred them up as troublemakers, contrasting them to these people in Berea who accepted the message with eagerness and diligently studied the Bible to see if what was said was true. And do you notice how those people in Berea are described those words they were more noble in character and if you don't know what that means basically the writer of this Luke is saying do what these guys did this is good people in Thessalonica not so good simply if we want to live life well let's get stuck into the bible that's what this is saying And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, maybe even for many years, it can be easy to forget quite how important and quite how powerful this is. And we become so familiar with it, we sort of just, well, yeah, of course, that is important, yeah. For others of us, we sort of view it not as a book, but as a sort of mystical thing that when we open it, angels sing. And so we treat it as though we have sort of not reading, just to sort of hmm. And for others of us, maybe we're on the beginning of this journey and it just seems bamboozling and to be honest, long. <laughs> How do we grapple with this? And I love the quote that is in the uh, booklet that you all be given this morning from George Muller. And George Muller, if you don't know, he was a guy in the 19th century who transformed society. Over 10,000 orphans were homed, given homes because of him. This is what he says. In amongst, how do you change the world in amongst all of the busyness of life and trying to change the city? This is what he said. I saw more clearly than ever that the first thing to be concerned about was not how I might serve the Lord, but how I might be satisfied in the Lord. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it. The most important thing. He saved tens of thousands of lives. The most important thing, he said, was how he grappled with this. We want to transform our city. How do we do it? (laughs) We need to get stuck into the Bible. And so six very brief things, and they are very brief. You can tell me afterwards if you thought they should be briefer. (laughs) The first is this, from the passage we read and wider in the scriptures. How to read the Bible? Well, view the Bible the way Jesus does. It can be easy to forget that if we are followers of Jesus, it's probably worth following what Jesus did. That's what Christian means, Christ. I love this thing that you may have seen going around on Twitter and beyond. No, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me, Jesus. And so if we follow Jesus, it is important to work out how he viewed the Bible. This is what he said. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, literally not the dot on top of the I or the little cross on a T, if they had an I and a T, t—in will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. All of it is crucial, he says. The Bible is that important, that unchangeable, that if you think the Bible no longer applies, well, you're entitled to that opinion, but that's not Jesus' opinion. Or listen to what he says in Matthew 19. He's having a discussion with some religious leaders of his day about the whole subject of divorce. This is what Jesus says. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh, so they're no longer two but one. Notice something very, very interesting. What does Jesus not say? He doesn't say, haven't you read back in the beginning of Genesis? Or haven't you seen what the writer put? He says, That at the beginning, the creator made the male and female, and the creator said, for this reason a man will leave his father. What he's saying is, these are not just words, God says. Now again, you can disagree with Jesus, but you can't say you're following Jesus if you've got a different idea of the Bible than Jesus. Christian. And so have the same view of the Bible as Jesus does. So Jesus would agree with Paul's words in the New Testament as he talks to Timothy saying, from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, all. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We'll come back to the question because I know there will be some saying, great Tim, but... Jesus only had the Old Testament. We'll come back to that. Hold the question. But for a moment, let's just think what that might mean, that Jesus attitude to the Bible. It means we can't be like this guy. I love this, the old saying, many of us use the Bible like a drunk man uses the lamppost, more for support than illumination. Jesus doesn't fit the bible around what he says or he thinks to support his views i found a verse his authority are the words of god in these pages and there's two ways that we might subtly get distracted from that first is this we can easily add to the bible I once preached in a church that had a sloped floor. The reason it had a sloped floor is so that it could, quote, never be turned into a dance hall. Now, granted, some people shouldn't ever be dancing in the place of church. But that's not in the Bible. And time and time again throughout history, People have added to making things more important or as important to scripture. It may be a very wise thing, but it isn't biblical. So don't add to it. It may be sensible something, little thing that you adopt, but don't put it on the same level as the Bible. Uh, But also having this Jesus view of the Bible, means we also can't take away from it. Picking and choosing the bits that I want because it fits with my world or my thoughts. The Creator said says Jesus. And the reality is we all do this. We add to it, we take it away. But if we want to follow Jesus, we want to live life well, we need to get his handle on the Bible. So the question out of that as we posed is what do we mean then by scripture? If that is true, how do we know what is the Bible, what scripture is, which leads us to our next point. So have the same view of the Bible as Jesus, but view the Bible the way the Bible does as well. Because many of us will be thinking, well, does the Old Testament apply today? Is the New Testament the same as the Old Testament? Do we treat it on the same level? And we've watched things like Da Vinci Code and read Dan Brown books, and we're all a-dither and, ooh, don't know. Hope somebody else has thought about it. Listen again, well, not again. Listen to some words from the book of 2 Peter, a letter towards the end of the Bible. Peter writing some Christians. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate to you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter's pointing to the Old Testament, the holy prophets and things, and accounts of Jesus as being important. But he goes on to say these words, which I think are really encouraging. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. How many like that bit? I like that bit, yes. Which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures. So the Bible, in the Bible, they are taking the New Testament writings that we have as scripture, as equal as the Old Testament. And so, you can disagree with that, but that's the biblical understanding of the Bible. Christians have taken the whole of the Bible as the authority don't know if you've heard the story, I've mentioned it before, about a man visiting the Louvre Art Gallery in Paris and taking a look at the Mona Lisa painting there. And he examines it from several angles before turning to the security guard sat next, next to it and said, I don't really like it. And the security guard replies, Sir, these paintings are no longer being judged. The viewers are. So how you treat the Bible often says more about us than it does about the Bible and how it views itself. So have the same view of the Bible as Jesus did. God's word, God breathed. That all of this is God breathed. But then there's something else that builds on that. Not only view the Bible the same way as Jesus, not only view this Bible the same way the Bible does, view Jesus the same way the Bible does. This is so important. How do we read it then? I remember a few years ago with my son Noah, giving him a pair of binoculars that he'd never used before. And of course, what he does, which most of us do, is try them both ways round. Oh, look, that person's a long, long way away. Whoa, they're close, as you flip them around. It depends on the lens and the way you look to what you see. And the Bible shows us how we should read it, what lens we should read this and study it from. So look, in Luke's gospel, Jesus has come back to life from the dead. He's walking with some people to Emmaus, and we read these words, stunning words. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Or in John's gospel, we read these words. If you believed Moses, in other words, all of those writings in the Old Testament, you would believe me. Why? For he wrote about me. Or these words from the book of Acts. As we see the gospel going all over, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as first rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people. Do you see that? The lens through which we read the Bible is a Jesus lens about him, which has three important things. Jesus is the savior, not you. Second thing, Jesus is the Saviour, not you. Third thing, Jesus is the Saviour, not you. Let me illustrate. We all know the story of David and Goliath. This is a famous painting from the 15th century. And it's contemporary as well as ancient. You may have seen or read the book by Malcolm Gladwell just a couple of years ago David and Goliath. Underdogs, Misfits, The Art of Battling Giants. And there's some contemporary versions of it. I love this particular one. It's quite powerful, actually. But reading the Bible with a Jesus lens changes how we read this story, for example. Because we've sung already the words, every giant will fall, every mountain will shake, and so on. And many of us read the Bible to find out what we should do. And so we read a story like David and Goliath, and we think there's giants in our lives. And so if we've just got the courage of David to stand strong, we can defeat those giants. It's a stirring message. That gives us a sense of energy and momentum. But the problem is this who's the savior? Me, depending on whether I've got the guts to beat the Giants or not. But we sung the words every chain will break that you've broken into. Because the message of that story and the lens through which we see. Post Jesus, is that God's people couldn't defeat the giants. That's the point. Goliath was too big, too strong for them. And so what happens? God sends somebody on their behalf to defeat the giant. And this somebody looked insignificant, it was not the sort of person that they would have sent. They'd have sent a warrior. But little old David defeats the giant. Who's the saviour then? God, not God's people. That's the point. And if we begin to see the Bible through that lens, we realise it's not about us at all. We're not the saviour. And I want to suggest that is really good news because there are people in this room right now who have giants in their life that they cannot beat with all the medicine. But when we have somebody who's beaten death, that's good news. Or well, for those racked with guilt and shame, because again, I've done it. And the message about be strong enough to overcome the giants works for a day or two, but you know you need a rescuer to save you from yourself. That's good news. That's how you see the Bible. It's immensely freeing. So read the Bible and see Jesus the way the Bible sees him. Which leads us to our fourth point. We're racing now. Don't let our eagerness mislead us. When I was growing up, I used to go to church. And we had a girl in our youth group called Joy. Joy was lovely. So when we read the verses in the Bible, you shall go out with joy. (laughs) Result. I never went out with joy. (laughs) But many of us claimed that. (laughs) Sometimes we have things that we wish to be true and hope are true and so we can distort the Bible to fit in with what we want. Listen again to how Paul, how the writer of Acts talks about those people in Berea. They were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They wanted it to be true, but they needed to know it was. And try, though, we might as young people, we realize that you shall go out with joy was not talking about this particular joy, <laughs> Seriously, there are many things in life that we wish were true. But if we follow Jesus, we're called to examine them in the light of what the Bible says. Don't let our eagerness mislead us, which leads us to our fifth point. Why is this all so important? Because we're called to remember the lasting impact. Look at the response to all of this happening in Berea. Verse 12, as a result, many of them believed as did also a number of prominent Greek women and men and many Greek men. Lives were changed because they knew this was true. This wasn't just a lovely idea that some convincing preacher had told them or a book they'd read or a particular vibe. And why is this important for us? Well, here at Riverside, we've been uh, talking about these words over the last few months, that we long to be a church that reflects and transforms Birmingham because people belong to thriving communities in which they get to know Jesus. We've talked this morning about those involved in social justice and ethical living. We've talked about Alpha. There are people in your world that you would love to get to know Jesus. There are our cities we'd love to see different, but how do we know what transforming Birmingham should look like? How do we know what good things to celebrate? How do we know what brokenness needs fixing? How do we know what is brokenness? How do we know what evil needs confronting? It's only through the lens of what we read in scripture. That's why the Bible is so important. That's how people get to know Jesus. That's how our city is transformed. Think about what George Muller said. And I've seen this in a number of different ways, but I can still vividly remember one woman in a previous church. Her name was Isabel. She came out to me after a talk once in tears. A middle-aged woman, very respectable, but sobbing because she just read these words from the book of Romans. That's what the talk was on. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God had been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. She was a very respectable, responsible woman who did a lot. And as a mother, she was really worried that all that she'd done in life wasn't good enough. And as a wife, that she hadn't got it all together and hadn't been the wife that she should have been. And as an employee, that she could have done better and that her family could have reached more people. And she was frankly scared that God looked at her and found her wanting. And She read these words, this righteousness is given through faith faith and it's precisely because she read the words of the bible that everything changed if it's not in the bible it's just ideas and fiction fantasy that we wish was true but her life was changed and this is important because of a number of reasons and one of them is this as i begin to come into land Many will know of disturbing groups like this group in America, quoting random Bible verses flung out about God's judgment. If we view things through the lens of Jesus, where has God's judgment gone? It's been nailed to a cross where God's own son took it all for us. And therefore, how on earth can we ever judge other people can we ever lob biblical grenades to destroy people when jesus took it all and we know that because it says so in the bible changes everything that has lasting impact that is good news and as i come to a close there's one final point which is the sting in the tail which is the hard bit we should also expect it to be a challenge. We've already read about how some bits are difficult. It's a great Mark Twain quote about it's not the bits of the Bible. I don't understand that I find a problem. It's the bits I do. It is challenging. And look at what happened in Berea when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea. Some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. It's always hard, it's always a challenge, but dare I say it, that's the way to follow Jesus and that's the way to live life well. May we be people who get stuck in, not because it's a book, but because in it we see Christ.